0: Hey, what's up jordan how you doing man we're gonna start this thing off with our little pre-game topic i don't know if you've been in this situation because i have for sure maybe eating at a steakhouse. my favorite is roose chris and i'm over there and i pound a ribeye and i look down at the empty plate and i say i still own you like i still got this steak eating ability in me a little bit different but what transpired on the nfl field you had uh aaron Rodgers legendary quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, still going strong in his career, going up against your Chicago Bears. And so I'm very curious what you think about this, because after he scored a touchdown, he did the whole heavyweight championship belt thing, and then he could be heard on the television broadcast yelling to the Chicago fans, I still own you. It bristled a lot of the Bears supporters, former Bears veterans, guys like Olin Krutz, who Basically, very specifically said that he would have wanted to punch him in the face. Uh, Olin's felt that way about a lot of people, I think, throughout his time. Uh, but your thoughts as a Bears fan, were you offended by Aaron Rodgers in the I still own you comment?
1: Yeah, it's, I'm sure Olin, some of his own teammates, too. Um, <laughs> maybe some some current employees of the Chicago Bears. Um, it was one of those like, oh, I got some texts like, oh, man, I know you're salty about Rodgers comments. And I'm like, mm, not really. Not really. <laughs> What do you say? What do you say? His record against the Bears is like an 80-something win percentage. Um, They never beat him, right? I mean, it has been few and far between. He has ruined seasons for the Bears, like in Week 17, in NFC Championship games. Um, And that's even when the Bears are actually competitive, which they haven't been, you know, regularly over the last handful of years. Real hit and miss. And so it's just like, yeah. You know, I feel like Pedro. Remember Pedro's comment after he got shelled at Yankee Stadium and they were chanting, Who's Your Daddy? And Pedro just went into the press conference. He's like, Sometimes I gotta tip my cap and call <laughs> the Yankees my daddy. And it's like, that's that's kind of Rogers and the Bears. I mean, what what's the argument? Oh, he's a prick, he's a pompous guy, right? He's 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 uh he's rubbing it in everybody's face, he's rubbing our nose in it. It's like, yeah, but he's that good. So I got, I got nothing really. It's just, I've come to accept it. Do I ever think the bears are beating the Packers? No, it's just, that's just a fact of life. I really hope he gets traded to the Broncos or someplace else or retires or something. Cause you know, it's been 20 years. Here's my message to the
0: fandom of the Chicago bears. Uh, it could be worse you could be the fandom of the detroit lions like what would aaron Rodgers scream to the detroit fans he'd be like i don't even think about you you know like you're not even on my radar like it would be way more disrespectful and way worse at least you guys somehow motivate him to talk that kind of trash with detroit it's probably like this level of pity where he's like i feel bad for you is what he would yell to the fans like, I'm actually sorry for all of the devastation and wreckage uh, that I have caused here for this franchise over the years. I mean, heck, even the Chicago Bears can say that to the Detroit Lions. But you know what? Just forget this. This is depressing me. All I'm trying to say is uh, you guys shouldn't be too offended because it's Aaron Bleepin Rogers and the guy's really, really good. Time to get to our game time. Because we got a whole lot of crazy stories that have been circulating here with Hawaii ties and certainly the one that has gotten the most amount of headlines. And we're talking nationally. uh, That is the Nick Rolovich story. He was let go by Washington State this week, along with four assistant coaches. And that group includes former UH staff members, Craig Stutzman, Mark Weber, Ricky Longo, all refusing to get vaccinated under the statewide mandate, which set a deadline for Monday, October 18th. Rolo had reportedly applied for a religious exemption and still, to this point, has not publicly stated the the, the specific reason for not getting the vaccine. He is now planning on suing the university for wrongful termination and discrimination against what his attorney described as his, quote, devout Catholic faith. I'm not sure if under these circumstances, Washington State had that much of a choice, right? This is a vaccine mandate. It was unlikely that the exemption would be granted. Uh, As it currently stands, the defensive coordinator, Jake Dickert, is taking over on an interim basis. Uh, You have the addition of Dan Morrison and Dennis McKnight, a couple of former University of Hawaii staff members who are joining that Wazoo staff, which was down to a handful of coaches. Uh, And so the plot. Thickens on that level, uh, but how does this hit you? I mean, what do you think about how quickly things have gone haywire for Nick Rolovich in Washington State? A guy who was only in his second year of what was a five-year, fifteen million dollar contract.
1: Yeah, it's it's just um, it's a little a little sad, right? I mean, you know, we I, I think for us in Hawaii, it's a little different perspective, right? Than than you see. I mean, you've seen some of the. The headlines from national media. You've seen some of the columns written, and you know it, it. I think they're fair, right? I mean, that's that's the this the matter of the situation. But it's it's just you know knowing Rolo, right? Having watched him as a player, uh, as a coach, covering him, his teams. You know, heck, he's been a guest on this podcast, right? And, and so it's a little different on a, on a personal level. Um, and I know you know him much better than I do, but. It's just one of those where you, you kind of just left disappointed, right? Bummed out um, that it came to this. Um, I, I thought there was a decent chance that that he would, in the end, decide to get the vaccine um, and to stay employed, right? And and which would have allowed him to continue on and and continue as the coach uh, at Washington State University, right? A, a Pac-12 job uh, with that salary, I, I think that's fair to mention, right? He was he was in line to make a lot of money. And now, unless this lawsuit kind of goes through in his favor, uh, he's walking away from a ton of money, right? And a, and a great opportunity at a, at, a, at a place that, you know, it's it's crazy to think about. But, but in January of 2020 seemed like a really good fit. <laughs> and it ended up not being in the end, right? Because of circumstances nobody obviously could have foreseen, you know, nearly 20 months ago or a little more than 20 months ago. And so it's just hard because I, I think it was very clear, right? It was very clear, at least for him what it was going to take and what was the necessary steps to remain the coach there. Um, and again, we, I, I mentioned this last week where, you know, he's, he's no dummy, right? He he's a smart guy. And, and I think he, he had to have been fully aware of the ramifications of his choices because we talked about it, but it wasn't just him. It was a handful of assistant coaches, uh, a bunch of assistant coaches who remain on staff, but there's no guarantee those guys remain on staff a year from now or at the end of the season, I should say, right. Um, depending on what, Washington State does in terms of who they hire as the next head coach. Those guys could all be out of a job looking to uproot their families and move elsewhere. Um, a lot of those recruits that he brought in, right, guys that, that that um, you know, he brought in as as his recruits or, or guys that, you know, transferred in even former University of Hawaii players that he sort of brought along. Um, there, It's a ripple effect that goes very, very deep just beyond the head coach and him walking away from that position and that salary. And I think he's fully aware of that. And so it it kind of leads you to scratch your head a little bit. It's like, you know, okay, you know, that, that in a way it's not surprising, like knowing Rolo, he is a guy that is going to do things his way that it is, you know, maybe a little hard head, but I just, I just am still a little surprised that it got to this point. You saw the comments by June Jones publicly in print, in media, which, you know, Rolo came out and spoke to, and and he was not very happy with. And I thought maybe you know that's something like that and so ultimately at the end of the day he was going to do this his way I just I don't think it was ever going to fly and and I don't know if he thought maybe it was going to I don't know if he thought that the religious exemption was going to be granted it's just one of those things and I am not a practicing Catholic by any stretch of the imagination Um, and so I, I say this with that preface but like the Pope right the the current sitting Pope has come out in favor of vaccines and so I just it 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 seems pretty hard to to say that that you know that would get approved right just from a, a pure like legal standpoint like if if you're citing your Catholic religion and the head of the Catholic Church all the way at the highest level is saying that you know the church is basically in favor of of this vaccination it's it's it seems a little hard and and I think you know I I I I I really am kind of of the mind that I think everybody in that room kind of knew it was coming to this point and yet when it came, it's still a little jarring, right? That, that ultimately Rolo decided that that this is what he was going to go through with it. And now the program is in a situation where they are scrambling and uh, Rolo and those four other assistant coaches, Craig Stussman included, I, I, I'm not sure what the next step is.
0: Yeah, I think the nature of his position, right? This was something that was reported on. The nature of his position was going to make it very hard to have an exemption granted uh, because he is the head coach and because he works with players in such large numbers. It's not like he's working in some little cubicle or corner office somewhere. And so just by nature of his position, that makes it difficult. Uh, I think what bugs me, uh, because you're right, I, I consider Nick Rolovich a friend. I love the guy. And, and it breaks my heart to see this come to this point and to see the, the, the consequences of his decisions bear out in this way but it pains me even more because I don't understand his thinking here or his logic, right? In his mind, I assume along with the assistant coaches, I imagine what they see is they are taking a stance on principle, right? They are standing up for what they believe in. The problem here is, and the disconnect here is as a head football coach, your primary principle like the principle is not to abandon your players right or your assistant coaches or staff members you are in essence not just abandoning them you're turning your back on their families and people who are counting on those positions and jobs to make a living who are now all of a sudden in limbo and that's or have a problem with that is it's you know it's great to stand up for something that you believe in but when the ramifications are so devastating, you know, and and, and we can get into the the, the science denial and all of this and all of these other layers to the, the issue and, and conversation, but at the end of the day, that's what bothers me the most. People that are on the lower tier and rung of the coaching staff, uh, people who are video coordinators or work in the offices, secretaries or other clerical positions, you know, what's gonna happen to them at season's end, what happens to those people, as well as where does this put now Nick Rolovich and Craig Stutzman and the like? You know, are they now pariahs under this COVID era that we are living in? I don't imagine this COVID thing is going anywhere anytime soon. I think we are trending in a decent direction, but there's talk about all of these other variants that we might have to brace ourselves for. And so until we're completely past this thing, what does that do to someone like Nick Rolovich or Craig Stutzman? How does that impact their hireability under these circumstances? Uh, that's That's what all sort of rains down on me when I contemplate this ultimate action and decision by Nick Rolovich, because I agree with you. I think it was understood what the consequences would be and the decisions that led to those consequences were still made. And that's where I have a problem. All right. So on that note, it's I think fitting for us to at this time Uh, bring in our guest for this program. He is our resident football guru. He is a guy who has been a longtime friend of this show. Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helley, going back to our Maui radio days. Uh, And he's a guy who coached Nick Rolovich, coached alongside Nick Rolovich, very much in this guy's orbit and sphere throughout his career. So we want to bring on uh, our buddy, uh, again, resident football guru, Rich Miano, to talk more about this all right rich it's great to see you man it's been a minute and we love to periodically get back with our resident football guru and uh, obviously a lot going on in the football headlines right now nick rolovich a guy who you coached as a player when you were a member of the uh staff when he was there uh, coached alongside uh, you've seen his personality and his career from a lot of different angles and and we were talking about the different layers there's a lot to unpack with this story Uh, at the end of the day though guys getting three million dollars a year like I was thinking in my mind like if I get paid three million a year you can jab me in my eyeball with like whatever you want to man it just makes it a little bit more worth it but in all seriousness how much of this surprises you how much of this plays into the kind of personality or the kind of guy that he is that you know of Well, I'll start off by saying you can jab me in a place (laughs) that I can't even talk about on this show. But that being
2: said is, you know, when I got interviewed by the New York Times or the USA Today and stuff, I never felt like I really knew the man. It's almost like uh, he's a mystery man in terms of what is the purpose of dressing up like a clown in spring practice? Is it to engage the children Or is it about Nick Rolovich, you know, the Elvis Presley thing, the Britney Spears thing, Um, the social media thing, which I think, you know, you can construe as that's attracts recruits. It keeps you relevant. The program needs marketing uh, because I wouldn't say that they have a very strong marketing department. Um, But is it about the team, which as an old school coach player, you know, the whole thing team seems to always take precedence over the individual and so you have to you're walking a very fine line with nick rolovich but i have to express my gratitude in terms of he's maybe probably he is the best coach in the last couple of decades since june jones he actually loves hawaii he played here his wife is from maui he's got Stutzman and brian smith and abraham elemium and jacob you're on his staff i mean he recruited local players. He believed in the walk-on program. There's so much good about this man uh, leading this program to, you know, not heights that it's never reached before, but good, you know, in a good place. He left it in a good place. He left Todd Graham with tremendous talent. There was a foundation built in Manoa, which has taken some time since the June Jones era to build. So it's, he's an interesting story.
0: Yeah. That's the, the hardest thing for me to digest uh, is the idea that here is a head coach of a program uh, of players who basically all got the vaccine based on the requirements to be able to participate. Uh, and as a head coach, when you talk about principle, when you talk about priorities, uh, who your allegiance lies with, it is those players, is it not? And so this strikes me as being a series of decisions made by Nick Rolovich and, and obviously some assistants as well. But as the head coach of the program, it, it what breaks my heart so much about this is it feels like he chose something other than supporting his players and thus their families. And that seems like a bit of a breaking of a promise that is made annually by a head coach of a sports program. Is that an overreaction in your mind?
2: No, no and, and you know I've been around so many different coaches, and, and maybe my viewpoint is a little different in terms of the most important people in the program to me. Some people will say it's the players. I've always said it's the assistant coaches f- from a loyalty standpoint, a continue, uh, uh, continual, you know, technique and, and philosophy and culture standpoint. I've always felt assistant coaches were the most important part of the program, because I think that builds a foundation. Now, second to that, and it may be 1B if that's 1A, and that's just my personal uh, philosophy, is the players. But let's go back to the coaches. You had four coaches that didn't take the shot. They got fired also. How financially secure are their families? How financially secure are they to to go along with, you know, whether that's a personal decision or they just wanted to ride on the same boat with Coach Rolovich. And then, yeah, let's get to the players. Those players, most of them have been signed by Nick Rolovich. This is his second year or I would say somewhere around half. But even the half that were there, they believed in him. They could have went to the transfer portal. There's so many opportunities now to play somewhere else. But so, yeah, when you sign on that dotted line and you're a young, impressionable student athlete, usually around the age of 18 to 20, depending upon junior college and high school, you're playing for a guy you believe in. And so that's why I've always had a problem with college football, how coaches could in the past leave so easily, but players were stuck and they couldn't leave. So, yeah, I, I think it's a huge letdown to the assistant coaches that are still there, that believed in this man and believed in his philosophy. The ones that no longer are employed, which now they need to seek uh, employment elsewhere. And then the players who philosophically, you know, life lessons. That's what a head coach does. He teaches life lessons. He teaches philosophy. He makes you a better person. Uh, They have been let down. They don't even know who the new boss is going to be. So this is unprecedented in college football history, where a head coach leaves in the middle of the season, along with four assistants for a reason that wasn't football related.
1: Yeah, Rich, what did you make of um June Jones's comments? Um, You know, it, it sounded like he had had some conversations over the last several months with Rolo and then uh going on the record with a, a USA Today reporter and, and basically kind of sharing some of the details of those conversations, what he had urged Rolo to do in terms of reconsidering his stance on, on receiving the vaccination. And then Rolo, you know, basically saying he was not happy with that at all in the media in the aftermath, which which all came prior to to this Monday's news in in him being fired from his position. But what do you make of, of June Jones kind of going public with that um, and sharing his comments that way?
2: Well, first of all, I was in that same New York Times article, and basically the quote was, I think most people think Coach Rolovich is crazy. Now, that's a liberal state, Washington. We live in a liberal place here in Hawaii. I think most people believe in vaccinations here and think that if you don't get it, uh, you're not making a wise decision. So I was quoted at that, and I've got some blowback on that as well, and you know, it is what it is. Uh, In terms of Coach Jones, yeah, he seemed to be really perturbed the fact that he came out with something that he thought was maybe a personal conversation. Now, I don't know if he said, Hey, this is off the record. Uh, Please don't repeat this. I don't know what transpired in that conversation, but it seemed like he was shocked that coach Jones let the public know that this is a religious decision, which, you know, again, the separation of church and state, you could go in philosophy on, you know, how many people have applied for religious exemptions, everything else. I, I, it sounded like, and again, you you know, Joan, as well as anybody in Canoa, that these interviews can be 30 minutes to an hour. And then that's part of the quote and whether that is the context of the meaning or not, I haven't talked to June about that. But to me, June is a mentor. June is somebody that has taught all of us so many things in life. And uh, if June felt like he, you know, was, that was his place to say that, it's hard to fault Coach Jones because, you know, we all make mistakes if that was a mistake. But, you know, I think June, for the most part, comes from the heart. He wants, you know, he wanted Rolovich to get this vaccination because he he stressed the importance of team before individual. Uh, your coaches, you know, the program, the foundation that you're building will never be built if you don't adhere to your bosses, to the governor of the state of Washington and to, I would say, I don't know 75 85 90% of this country believes you should probably take the vaccine and I uh, you know that may be you know a statistic there and I'm not positive about that but for most people you're disappointing them by not doing what you need to do to lead this team.
1: Yeah and so that Washington state program they they got to kind of pick up the pieces uh they they had been looking improved over the last couple of weeks and And uh, reports are out today that uh, Dan Morrison and and Dennis McKnight are are joining the staff, uh, former University of Hawaii assistants, former assistants under June Jones. Uh, One, did you get a call? Uh, And two, uh, you know, a little more seriously, how do how do they move forward with all of this? And, and, you know, the fact that they're bringing in a couple of uh, another UH connections.
2: Well, first of all, uh, both of those coaches are extremely uh, well-versed in the run and shoot from a protection standpoint with with uh, Coach McKnight and then obviously a quarterback standpoint with Coach uh, Morrison. And, and Dan is a great person, and so is Dennis. They have great stories. They have great lineage. Um, so I think that is an impressive, uh, especially a midseason type of pickup, so to speak, that people that are on the street that can you know plug and play so uh, I did not know that. I, I'm pleased to hear that because both of those guys are well-deserved, and, uh, and, and, and I, I like both of their philosophy. I think that will help a fractured program. Um, so I'm excited about that. The answer to your question is no, I didn't get a call. Uh, <laughs> the, the, so, that new head coach, the acting head coach, the interim head coach, is a defensive guy. I didn't expect to get a call. And to be quite honest with you, living in Palouse probably would not improve my lifestyle. You know, I get to work with Kanoa Leahy on Saturday. I get to work with Jordan Helley on Friday.
0: I mean, that's a broadcaster's dream. I mean, how do you walk away from a situation like that, right? There's there's
1: no fast. Cocoa Head in Pullman. so. <laughs>
0: exactly. Yeah, you're not uh, doing your stand-up paddling uh, over there in Pullman, Washington, Ex- my man. I, I
2: think my daughter would rebel. My wife would probably divorce me. And my son, he'd have mixed feelings.
0: <laughs> well, I guess you made the right decision then in not accepting that call if it did come your way. Uh, all right, last last uh, question that I'll have pertaining to the Rolo situation is, uh, what does this do for him as well as the assistants? What does this do for their higher ability moving forward? I, I think for the most part, there'll be university presidents and
2: athletic directors that will be a little, maybe say more than hesitant. And and I think Dave Matlin in retrospect, probably would have been more hesitant if he knew kind of Rolo was a loose cannon or somebody that's going to make independent decisions of what most people feel is best for the program. Um, So I, I think there is that now, that being said, there's always a flip side of the story. Rolovich knows the run and shoot. Craig Stutzman is probably more responsible for the offensive success at Hawaii and Washington state, not only as a quarterback coach, but an RPO guru, a run and shoot guru, a guy that uh, players want to play for. And you see him on the sidelines. Nick's now kind of vested as a head coach and a decision maker. And, you know, he's obviously done some good things in terms of recruiting and they were turning that program around. It seemed like, so, you know, I, again, do they get hired this season Most likely not. Will they be employed in the future? I wouldn't think they'd get a USC job or or some type of a power five conference type of job. But I think there's some program that's maybe struggling out there that thinks, hey, these guys are somewhat entertaining in terms of their social media and their off the field stick. But they're also, more importantly, they know football and they're young, they're enthusiastic, they have vision. I, I don't think this is the end of their coaching career, but there could be more than a six month separation, which would really hurt the assistant coaches. So, you know, we're going to have to wait and see on that. But I wouldn't be shocked if they get an FBS job.
0: Yeah, I think what makes it difficult is is this COVID thing. It's, it's not going anywhere anytime soon, it seems like we don't know how yeah. much longer we're dealing with this. And so Ooh. this. this series of decisions made by these individuals uh, that might linger, that has the potential to linger and possibly impact them in terms of consideration for future work. Um, All right. We switch gears here. Uh, We're talking football with with our guru. So uh, I want to ask you about this. I'm not sure how read up on this topic you are, but uh, it seems as though the volume knob on some of the Tua Tongo Bailoa trade block rumors is being turned up. Uh, You have the Dolphins uh, being reportedly more serious in their seeking to acquire Deshaun Watson, the embattled Texans quarterback who's currently sidelined while fighting legal battles stemming from an avalanche of sexual misconduct allegations. The latest reports actually have the Washington football team seeking to be involved as a possible third team in the deal so that they can acquire Tua from Miami. Uh, Are you surprised by this recent stream of reporting. And what do you make of that dichotomy where you have Deshaun Watson and who knows what's going to happen with this guy and some of these very egregious accusations that he is tied to. And then you have Tua tonga Bailo about as squeaky clean in character as you can imagine. Uh, But it seems as though the jury might still be out on whether or not he is a long-term solution as a franchise quarterback. How does this hit you?
2: Well, it's um, it's it's interesting because I, I see, I thought, you know, I woke up at 3.30 a.m. here in Hawaii to watch that game in London. <laughs> and I thought Tua might have played his best game in terms of he pushed the ball downfield. Uh, the gaseki was big. He's still playing with receivers that nobody on the planet, or at least in the United States, our household names I mean Devontae Parker was hurt uh the other kid that they brought in with the speed from uh, the former Texans receiver he was hurt you know Gasecki seemed healthy and and he is a a emerging tight end maybe a top five top seven guy um but I thought tour made good decisions besides the one interceptions I thought he moved around and extended plays I thought he was very accurate I thought you know he's still playing but Behind a makeshift offensive line, I almost feel bad for two. And I sound like an apologist, but it's just like if I'm a riverboat gambler as a general manager, if I say, hey, Deshaun Watson now would cost us, if he was clean, five first round draft picks, a couple seconds, and maybe a player. Well, now because he has all these allegations, I'm going to only, it's only going to cost us two or three first round draft picks, maybe two or three second round draft picks, whatever the bounty is. I'm not going down that road unless I know what the NFL is going to do. If I know what our private investigators from our franchise that looked into this situation and think that these allegations are going to go away, that this young man's not going to spend any time in jail, that this young man's not going to be suspended for the uh, next couple of years, Deshaun Watson. So this is a situation that I think has never taken place in the NFL where here's one of the greatest quarterbacks and it's a quarterback driven league. Don't make, Make no mistakes about that. Do we gamble on him when we have a guy that who in this organization, I want to know thinks he can't play because I want to see to us succeed in the worst of ways to come back and go like, wait, Brian Flores, you gave up on him. Steven Ross, you gave up on him. Excuse me. The general manager, you gave up on him because this is a monumental franchise changing decision. And it could go either way.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's big. Right. And, and, I'm with you there. The list of guys is is fairly short and, and you don't want to give up on guys too early. Uh, kind of switching gears here, Rich, while we still got you. Um, UH coming up this weekend. Obviously, uh, we'll all be there. <laughs> um, <laughs> New Mexico State round two, the weirdness of of playing somebody twice in the same season, uh, at least in the regular season, 20 uh, point win for the Bos uh, about a month ago up in Las Cruces. Uh, we don't know if the starting backfield will be available. And Chevin Cordero, the quarterback, data Hunter, the running back, both nursing injuries. Chevin already having missed a game, basically missed a couple of games. Um, what what have you most got your eye on here as, as they try to get uh, back to five hundred?
2: Yeah, well, you know, interesting that you know as a coaching staff, and I feel the New Mexico State coaching staff actually is, I wouldn't say superior to the Hawaii staff, but I, I think it's very competent. They're coming off a bye week, you know, and if. Shevin Cadero doesn't play and Day Day Hunter doesn't play. I think that bodes well for New Mexico State. They've been battling each and every week. Their quarterback was hurt the last time they played in Las Cruces. He's back. Johnson is back. He's much more healthy. He's much more efficient. He can move around. He's 6'3, 215 pounds. You know, they're getting better on, on defense, but they've got to eliminate the big plays. But again, Schrager is not. Chevin Cadero. It's not even close in terms of athleticism and spinning that football and decision-making and checking plays at the line of scrimmage. Dayday Hunter has emerged as, is he Diosomy St. Just? Is he Alex Green? Is he uh, some of the great backs that have played there? It certainly looks that way in terms of his trajectory. Those two runs he made were blocked well. But he made some things happen. He showed some signs and flashes. You got Nick Martiner. He was not even in the game plan last week. Calvin Turner didn't score a touchdown last week. I mean, this is almost an embarrassment of riches on offense. And the offensive line, I think, is playing better, more aggressive. If Hawaii can't score 40. Ah, the philosophy, the identity is still not there. I expect Hawaii to win this game no matter who plays, but I don't expect New Mexico State to quit. And if it's a ball game in the fourth quarter, you just never know.
1: So for this team, which, which seems to be a little more improved defensively, I think the last few weeks and, and did a decent job of keeping that team in the game uh, after the offense sputtered following halftime uh special teams has been a little bit of a concern they've got three games now in seven where they've had a punt blocked uh what is that an indication of or, or, or what what kind of concern does that bring uh when when a critical component like that to, has you know kind of failed repeatedly now
2: well you didn't ask for this but i'm gonna start by and segue into the answer to your question but I, I give the offense an A in terms of talent, A minus at worst, but C and C to C minus in terms of performance. I give the defense a B in talent and a, and a B in terms of performance. I think they've played up to their level of talent. They obviously have that huge game against Fresno State with six takeaways, but they didn't have a takeaway last week against Nevada. But, you know, they're, they're formidable. Special teams, I give them a B in talent and maybe a, a D in performance because the three block punts, the muff punts, excuse me, the, the three block punts, the muff punt, the muff kickoff, and just no re- gargantuan returns when you have great athletes back there. So they have not been performing. So what does that tell you? Is the buy-in there? I hope so. I think these kids work hard. They believe in these coaches. Um, is the philosophy there? I think on defense, for sure, it's there. I'm a little Disturbed special teams they don't play better because todd graham is the special teams coordinator and any defensive coordinator believes in having a strong special teams the offense just continues to baffle me because i'm perplexed at the talent and then the production sometimes they're going vertical you know just continuously and we what we call them jordan on defense is a long foul ball and Basically, you know, it, you know, the inside running game that's does set up play action. I'm okay with that, but I need to see more RPOs. I need to see more sequencing of plays. If you're gonna run RPO, it, do you have the bubble off of that? Do you have the smoke throws, the hitches? How do you not get the ball in the hands of Nick Mardiner? How do you not get the ball in the hands of in Turner had the ball in his hands? But there's so many ways to use Chevron Cordero in the run game prior to him being injured when you knew you had a competent backup are you believe in your backup. I'm doing quarterback powers. I'm doing quarterback Tampas and I'm, I'm not an offensive coach and I'm not trying to tell Bo Graham and Todd Graham how to play, but it's almost disturbing to see number 12, not more involved in the run game with speed options, with RPOs, with read zones, with quarterback Tampas, with draws, with, I'm telling you if I'm a defensive coordinator, I realize that Turner may break a big one. I realize that. That kid is capable of winning the balls in his hands. He has vision and uh, and confidence like no other. But I'm more scared of number 12. He can make all the throws. He can extend plays. He can beat you with his legs or his arms. And 54% completion percentage? Uh, That's a travesty. So offense needs to play better.
0: All right, so uh, before we let you go, you got, as mentioned, uh, two games this weekend as an analyst. You're working with Jordan Friday night for St. Louis Punahou. You're working with me. Jordan will be part of the pregame on the Spectrum pay-per-view broadcast, but you're working with me in the booth for Hawaii and New Mexico State round two. So my question is, you're not going to use all of your good stuff Friday night. You're going to save some for Saturday, right?
2: Well, you got to understand, like, okay, so growing up, when I decided to be a broadcaster was coming out of the national football league, I wanted to do NFL Fox. That was my thing work six months in Europe, hopefully someday matriculate to the national football league, but come back to Hawaii for six months. So when my dream was shattered and I had to work with guys like Jordan Helly and Kanoa I was like, that's about the same level as Jim Nance and Al Michaels. How could life get any better? But the answer to your question is, is, I I don't know nothing about Punahou or St. Louis, and Jordan's going to have to run that whole broadcast. (laughs) And I think Jordan, because he has the ability to do play-by-play and color, I might have the most limited amount of words I've ever spoken, and I'm Italian.
0: That's exactly what Jordan wanted to hear. Jordan, you're carrying the (laughs)
1: scoop on Friday. That's great. Sure. (laughs) No, 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 but
2: uh... but in all seriousness, aren't you guys excited? I am. I I love a dynasty. Oh yeah. I love a dynasty and don't get me wrong. It drives sports when you have teams that are dominant, but the fact that St. Louis is no longer what seems to be the dominant team in the state of Hawaii. We haven't even seen Miller, and Kahuku, who I think are real formidable. This is almost a five team race. And when you talk to coaches, they have no idea if there'll be a state championship. The ILH is going to end. They're <laughs> going to have like two months before the OIA ends. How do you even play at that? But Who's the ILH champion? That's going to be interesting. Who's the OIA champion? There's parody in the league.
0: Yeah, I think that's what makes dynasties so exciting, right? That's why they're so intriguing is because you want to watch to see if and when they get knocked off. Both, right. The king yeah. of the hill syndrome. So, uh, yeah, I think that that feeds into it. And credit to Kamehameha for uh, making St. Louis look a little bit more human like here in this 2021 season but rich we always appreciate it man you are our resident football guru because you have seen the game from every angle as an nfl veteran as a coach as an announcer um man we we always love talking football with you and we could do it forever and ever you guys have a great day all right big thanks once again to rich miano it's so fun just talking football with that guy you can pretty much run it to all corners of the football universe All right, we did want to continue on with a couple of game time uh, topics. Uh, First of all, certainly the league championship series in Major League Baseball. The Braves and Astros are both one win away from advancing to the World Series at the time of this recording. Now, this could change here by the time you're listening. Does that interest you if it is Braves versus Astros? Uh, We're still holding out hope that maybe these league championship series come down to a game seven type of situation on either side. But as it looks like right now, it is. It, there's a strong probability we got Braves and
1: Astros. Are you interested in that? Of the of the possible matchups, I got to be honest, that's probably my lowest desired one. <laughs> like, I, I was hoping the, the Red Sox would pull it off. I think Red Sox, Dodgers again would be a lot of fun. Obviously, the Mookie Betts ties, uh, the fact that they just met in the World Series a, a few years ago, um, you know, Braves. Red Sox, you got the Boston connection, right? Uh, a little different turn, right? Because it, it's been Dodgers, Red Sox, Astros uh, a lot over the last three, four years, even going back beyond that. Um, for for LA and Houston, and so yeah, it was. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know how sexy a matchup like Atlanta Houston is. I don't know how much that would resonate on a national level. Uh, I'm sure. Major League Baseball is hoping the Dodgers come back, at least the folks that are in charge of counting the beans, right? Uh, and, and you get a little L.A.-Boston matchup or even another L.A.-Houston matchup with the history there going back to the World Series a couple of different times. And so it's I think it'd be good baseball. I think the Braves are a great story, right? The the fact that their best player, arguably one of the three best players in baseball, gets hurt, tears his knee, and they could have easily sort of torn it down. They make a couple of huge trades, Jorge Soler, Jock Peterson. They bring in a couple of other guys. They show up for pitching staff that had been a little beleaguered. And they're like one win away from the World Series. A great story, but I don't know how much again that resonates, right? As, as national a brand as the Braves were for many, many years, they haven't been on Turner every week for a long time. And so unless you're like 28 years old or older, right? It, it, it you're, you're you're still a Braves fan, but I think, I think that's where we're headed, right? And, and the Astros, for all the vitriol they take, I think still bring in eyebrows. Um, it's just kind of hard. I don't really like the Astros, but I love Dusty Baker from his time at a whole bunch of different stops. It's like, man, that guy deserves one. But if it comes with the Astros, it's just gonna be real (laughs) bittersweet.
0: I mean, it really should be one of the more intriguing stories considering where the Astros were in terms of their public hatred, right? Um, the fact that they were able to come back from the cheating scandal, uh, and they're here on the precipice of making it to the World Series. And by the time people are listening to this, maybe they're already in there. Uh, It is kind of incredible Uh, But that said, bleep them like they cheated. None of the players had to pay any level of punishment or consequence for that cheating. And so they just become even more detestable. And so, hey, hats off to them for playing so well. Uh, They deserve everything that comes to them this year. I think I'm not aware of any other cheating scandals or methods that they've been applying. Uh, Dusty Baker certainly denies any of that stuff. But my issue is they're just so unlikable. I, actively root against them. And not just to the effect of like, I got to watch the Astros to see them lose. Like, I don't even want any part of it. Like that's, that's how much I can't stand that franchise at the moment. Uh, the Braves is, is it, do I even need to get into it? I'm a lifelong Mets fan and the Braves were the bane of our existence for the longest time in the NL East. And all we have done now is flip back around to that same situation where they're just running the show in that division. So Braves Astros, uh let's watch some basketball that's my deal
1: it's one of those things too right and and maybe the Astros have gotten smart and and they figured out a different way of skirting the rules and they have a new scheme (laughs) and system but we're we're led to believe at least at this point right with the crackdown that they are no longer cheating but yet they are still here and so that's even more infuriating yeah it's like why did they didn't need to cheat they're good like they're really talented and Jose Altuve is still knocking playoff dingers out of the park and clutch ones. Their two out hitting is ridiculous in these yeah. playoffs, and something that should be celebrated. But everybody's going to take it with a bit of cynicism, right? Because of where they're at. But if they're not cheating and they're still doing this, like, what was the what was the point?
0: All right. Well, uh, that's it for our game time. Time for us to get to our post game. And our best and worst brought to you by WastePro Hawaii, Maui's premier full-service refuse company offering various sizes of dumpsters and roll-off containers for commercial construction and residential use. Family-owned and operated with over 40 years of service to the Maui community. WastePro Hawaii is committed to customer service and responsible waste management. Visit WasteProHawaii.com for services information. All right, give me your best here, Jordan.
1: Yeah, my best. Uh, Purdue football Twitter. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure a lot of people saw this, right? Uh, Iowa's up to number two in the polls. I don't know if anybody expected them to stay there. But uh, as soon as they reach the number two ranking, they lay an egg at home against Purdue, 24 to 7. Uh, Bell, their receiver, is outstanding for the Boilermakers. Uh, And the tweet from Purdue's football's Twitter account just simply read, uh, we beat the number two out of Iowa, and that was it. And I thought that was just brilliant, just absolutely brilliant. A play on the number two in multiple ways, and they laid the beat down, and I thought it was it was social media at its finest. Social media can be terrible, uh, but that was clever, and I thought it was great. Good on Purdue.
0: Yeah, I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, I mean, very well done. It is perfect. Purdue has this, like, tradition of knocking off number two ranked teams like it's kind of unreal their record is is amazing you can go back to like when they knocked off second rank ohio state a few years back like it's just something that they do so very interesting that they find themselves again in that position so that makes the tweet even more impressive all right my best Uh, I was thinking about it. This is an honorable mention for me. I'm kind of cheating a little bit, but I kind of wanted to give props to the Chicago sky of the WNBA. They win the WNBA title. Uh, This season represented the homecoming, if you will, to Chicago for Candace Parker. Made it uh, her mission to win a championship. It was very much like LeBron going back home to Cleveland. And they end up pulling off uh, the title in the NBA finals. Uh, And so I wanted to give props to that. But I also wanted to give props to this, and I think this is my best. So again, I'm cheating the system. Uh, But hey, look, um, it's our show, so we can do whatever we want. Uh, But after a six-year hiatus, California League Hall of Fame baseball manager, Len Sakata, who is a Kalani High School graduate, 1983 World Series champion with the Baltimore Orioles, he came out of retirement to lead the San Jose Giants to a minor league championship. This is a guy who coached, Four of those championship Giants teams uh, overall, 2001, 2005, 2007, retired as manager and then came back and led them to another title. This is also a guy who basically preceded Cal Ripken's shortstop streak or starter streak uh, with the Orioles. Uh, This is a guy who is connected to history in a lot of different ways and yet once more doing so in the Bay Area. So I just wanted to give props to a local boy done good yet again,
1: even out of retirement, Len Sakata. Yeah, those are great. Uh yeah, thanks for thanks for cheating the system here. We we'll just call you the Houston Astros of this podcast. Um, yeah, Candace Parker, she's awesome. You know, I'm a Chicago sports fan. Those WNBA finals and even some of the playoff atmospheres were terrific. And uh we'll probably be the only professional basketball title won this season in Chicago. Um, even though the Bulls look a little better, but they're, you know, still a little, a little maybe overhyped. But yeah, Lenny Sakata, man, he has been at this for years. They bring him out of retirement. He just wins championships. He's a he's a winner through and through. And I, I love the article and Miller who's still doing it. Um, he talked about the old school of baseball, right? He's like he's complaining about dudes staring at iPads. <laughs> like I loved it. I love that he he was talking about it as sort of the the old guy to tell people get off the lawn, but he still won, right? And so it's there is there is substance to what he is saying about the the beauty, the romance of baseball, and, and we're getting a little too lost in the weeds when it comes to analytics. Uh, and the Giants, man, they got, they got uh, Rico Garcia on the on the pitching staff. Uh, Kai Correa, the hilo boy, is one of the assistants on Gabe Kapler's staff. He's one of the bench coaches there. Uh, so always fun to uh, to support the Giants, unless you're a Dodgers fan, I, I understand. But they've, they've always had those Hawaii ties, which is always pretty cool. And obviously yeah. a lot of it has to do with Sakata on all those years he spent in their minor league system.
0: Yeah, it definitely doesn't serve as the utmost consolation for how the season ended for the Giants on a check swing that never was. But I think, hey, look, it's something good in the organization uh, like you alluded to. So, uh, yeah, man, Lance got a big thumbs up. All right, let's flip it over
1: to our worst. What's your worst? Yeah, my worst. uh, Bob Huggins, Huggy Bear, (laughs) who's been at it for a while at West Virginia. He was the coach at Cincinnati prior. Um, He, like all the rest of the elitists in college sports, uh, just ruffling my feathers once again. He says that the big power schools, right? Whether you want to call them, it's not, it's maybe a little bit more than just the power five that we see in football, but the big schools in college basketball, he says, should have their own NCAA basketball tournament, or at least their own postseason basketball tournament. All the little mid-majors, the Cinderella's, George Mason, Gonzaga, Butler, Hawaii. He says they don't they, they shouldn't be in the same tournament as as West Virginia. Give me a break. That is the magic of March Madness. It is the Cinderella, right? And I know the blue buds are what drive the money, but I mean, come on. Especially in that sport. That sport.
0: Football is one thing, you know, it's, eh, it's, it's just such a gone. different yeah. endeavor. It's it's a bridge too far in many ways, I think. But in basketball, like that's what that whole March Madness thing is built upon, is the idea that you have blue bloods, high ranking teams that on any given day can get knocked off. That's the nature of the beast. And maybe that's why he doesn't want them to be a part of it, because maybe it's a little too uh, edgy and scary for him. Maybe he doesn't want to be part of history because that's the thing is you are etched in the history of the tournament when you are a high seed that gets knocked off in an early round so maybe he just wants to avoid that potential disaster altogether i don't get it bob huggins that uh, that's a big time l and miss on his part right there all right we flip over to my worst staying in hoops ben simmons that whole fiasco and soap opera going on with the Philadelphia 76ers this is kind of the new thing in the NBA right is if you want to get traded you can just kind of be disgruntled right Kyrie James Harden here's Ben Simmons who shows up to practice with a cell phone in his pocket uh, he was suspended from the opener that's how he wants it he's tra- he's trying to paint this picture so that they ultimately are forced to deal him to somebody else uh, it's just a bummer it's a bummer that uh, we see this so often now in basketball uh Ben Simmons I don't know man I just wish he would uh, swallow his pride and realize, yeah, that was kind of bad when I was refusing to take layups uh, because of my lack of confidence down the stretch last
1: season. Maybe I owe it to my teammates to give it at least a little bit of a try. Yeah, because at the end of the day, the only reason he's there is so he can collect his paycheck, right? If he doesn't show up, if he holds out, they don't have to pay him the full money. And so that's the only reason he's there. So it just it just makes everything worse. It's just, it's all yucky. Like what a what a system, right? The, the, the whole thing, and then these these superstars who are who are just absolutely selling out on their teammates. We saw it with Harden, and I don't know. This Ben Simmons one seems worse. Yeah, it seems, it worse. seems way worse. Um, it's just, just like a cell phone today, he said he had a sore back, and then the training staff cleared him for practice, and then he just didn't practice. <laughs> so it's like he's going to come with a new injury every day. Like it's just it's just so petty, and it's just the worst. And you know. And I, and I don't I don't blame guys like Joel Embiid just speaking out and throwing him under the bus. It's like, dude, you know, just stay home. But he can't because he wants his money, right?
0: It is the worst, and that's why it was my worst, and that's our best and worst. Brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii. Maui owned Maui operated for Maui's people. Big thanks once again to Rich Miano for jumping on with us. Our resident football guru. Always a pleasure with him. Hit us up on Twitter at Leahy at Jordan Helley or at Talk Sports eight hundred eight. Jordan, have a good one. See you, man.